Welcome to the first episode of the Think Beginning Not End podcast powered by Vanden. I'm your host, Simon Van Leuven, and today's guest is Anthony Payton from Prep Design. Now, Anthony is one of the people behind the new on-pack labelling that you're seeing when you buy goods from the supermarket to tell you if it's recyclable or not. And Anthony's built a tool in the background that helps packaging designers and packaging technologists ensure that they're designing packaging that is recyclable in the current recycling systems that we have. There is a little audio problem at the start, but once that clicks over, kick back and enjoy the conversation. Episode of Think Beginning Not End, and our guest today, Anthony Payton from Prep Design, is all about Think Beginning Not End. He's the person who's put the nuts and bolts behind the new label that we're seeing on some of our packaging, and I'm delighted to have you on board, mate, for uh, for this episode. Fantastic, Simon. Great to be here. Um, Anthony, can you tell us a bit about Prep Design and and uh, where it all started and um, and what it's all about? Okay, cool. Well, first of all, Simon, Prep Design is a business that was set up in 2017. Uh, it includes my um, business green chip, well, Planet Arc, and also a group in South Australia called Innovise. So we run this business, we own a software called Prep. Now, Prep stands for the Packaging Recyclability Evaluation Portal. Okay. But just forget that now, it's just Prep, okay? Yeah. All right. Um, but what it is, it's, it's something we've put together over a number of years, working with Planet Arc and bringing together my knowledge of all the work I did with doing waste audits and so on, both at the generators like manufacturers and so on, in terms of waste, in terms of being generated, but also at the MRFs and understanding how MRF works and the downstream processes and so on. I brought together all that sort of knowledge together with Planet Arc into sort of more of a, um, really what I'm calling it, it's a software tool based on parameters and thresholds. Yep. So for instance, at council, how widely is something collected like PET? You know, 96% of the population and you have a minimum type thing. And also the technical side, you know, how small is too small? 50 millimetres for plastic. Yep, so, so that's, that's it's all that parameter threshold model. So the body of your work really starts with the packaging design. That's exactly what it's for. So this whole process of developing this, this tool we call PREP is for the packaging designers because they're very confused. In the past, if they're putting something on the marketplace and, they, and their boss says, can you put something that's recyclable? They wouldn't even know where to start. They might think, Okay, it's got P, made of PET, but really it's sometimes it's the, whether the, lab, the label's compatible with it or the size or the shape. A lot of factors there that they're confused about. So that's what the prep does, is it helps their packaging designers and the brand owners to reduce the confusion at the design stage about whether something is recyclable or not. So the good thing to consider here is we've got consumers who are confused about what to do with it. Yep. And then the prep tool is helping the actual packaging manufacturers uh, remove some of that confusion for the product. Yeah, for the products that they're making, right? That's right. And you touched on the consumer there, Simon, because back in 2010 and 2013, there was a lot of work done about putting an on-pack label yep. to work out how to tell consumers what to do with the packaging. Now, there was a lot of debate went on that period because what they couldn't agree on was an underpinning methodology. Mm. And that's what the prep did. So they actually, the prep ended up coming first. And then six months later, with Planet Arc, um, and also with Officeworks, the first company, um, designed the on-pack labelling, which has now become the Australasian Recycling Label that APCO manages as part of all their membership. 
So there's been a bit of a history there the last few years, but it's interesting how in the UK, as a, as a, as a contrast, they put an on-pack labelling scheme in place in 2009 called the OPRL, or on-pack recycling label, set up by RAP, and that's a fantastic, that was the world first. Yeah. And um, now, we're fortunately, we have an arrangement now with um, OPRL with the PrEP underpinning that label. So in the UK, the label came first, the PrEP came second to underpin it, whereas in Australia, the PrEP came first and the label came second. But they both help each other out. And what are like some of the challenges that you've seen in, in getting this system up and running? Oh, well, look, it's, I think it's just that the complexity. I think in the past, when it comes to, even with consumers, you, you've always, you do the best with what you've got. And, and in councils in the past, the best they've got might have been put everything in the recycling bin that's either one to six or it's made of glass or it's made of paper or something. Really simple stuff. And even then you get to a point of saying, it's almost like a list of things. Eh? Should a pizza box be in or should a pizza box be out? Should a coffee cup? So what you get almost like looking at these things. So by going away from a list of items to a parameter threshold model, it just cuts away from that. It doesn't say, you know, is it a, a cup or whatever. It's saying, what's it made from? Is it going to behave in that recycling ecosystem in Australia, for instance, or New Zealand? Yep. And that complexity then is what we're looking for. We're trying to reflect that complexity back to the brand in a very simple way so they can know what happens to packaging after it goes in the curbside bin for consumer. Yeah, that I mean, that's definitely something that we see as a, as a buyer of some of these commodities. Like, yeah. I can already see that this new labelling and the new approach uh, from the packaging designers will hopefully increase the value of those streams as they come out of those MRFs as well. Yeah. No, I think that's the thing. And over the journey that I've been, I've been on, um, one of the things has been a bit of a debate about who's the benef beneficiary here. And the brand owners like it because they've got a streamlined process of designing packages. They benefit in that way. But it's the recyclers who win at the end of the day because if the consumers do the right thing and the labelling shows the right way, like in your case, Simon, you're still going to start seeing a cleaner stream come through. Yeah. So it won't necessarily going to be a magic bullet. No one's saying that. But it should help the process. And as we know with the whole China crisis and so on last year, and all the stuff that's going through locally with contamination, there's a lot of work to be done. But sometimes it's, con it's the confusion. Yeah. People might want to do the right thing. Also, the thing about like wish cycling, like our wishes is recyclable. Yeah. That causes more problems than it's worth. I mean, it should be if you're in doubt, leave it out. Yes, agreed. So there's we're trying to sort of streamline things the consumer side with the label, but then also as you say, back at the start, streamline and standardise things at the packaging design stage. Yeah, was the was you know like the take up of attitude towards it slow, or did you see like brand owners were engaged in it at the start? Well, once again, this journey I've been on Simon. So initially, that was a period between two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and seventeen. We were knocking door to door, saying, "Come on, jump on board and and uh, get behind this program." And it was the leading organisations. So Nestle comes on board early, and OfficeWorks comes on board early, and. Blackmore. So you've got these leading organisations that want to do the right thing. But it wasn't until we then came to arrange with um, the Australian Packaging Covenant Organisation at the start of last year, where now the, the PrEP software and the ARL is available to the members of APCO at no cost. Yeah. So all of a sudden now in the last 18 months, it's gone from having 20 organisations to 250 organisations on board. Wow, that's that's a big number. Yeah. It's, it's it's just it's gone nuts because the thing is that people can see that both at the brand owner level, they can see what's happening and they can see there's a standardisation of the industry, 
and they've come on board, which is fantastic. And what, and what about like, you know, from the recycling industry and I've put some context around that from the processing side of it. Yep. You know, what kind of feedback have you got around that so far? Well, what we've, what we've done there, Simon, is we've got, um, APCO's put together a, um, what's called the Technical Advisory Committee. Yep. And what's the beauty of that is we've got a group of people who are from different parts of the supply chain. You've got the packaging designers, you've got recyclers, you've got you know, state government through Food South Australia with Vaughan Levitsky, for instance, and you've got different players in the packaging manufacturers as well as brand owners. So you've got quite a good mix of people, plus you've got packaging technologists who have been designing packages. They know the real intricacies of why a packaging is designed a certain way. So it might be a laminate or it might be for improving shelf life. And what we're trying to also do is have that balance between the needs of the packaging designers to still reduce food loss and whatever, yeah. but also the needs of the recyclers to end up with a clean stream. And so that sometimes, in terms of some of the, back, the, the problems, it's, it's that sort of tension between something that's not as recyclable as it could be, but it achieves f- like food savings, for instance. And so there's sometimes there's a bit of a, a tension there, but that's the good thing about having a committee we can throw all these ideas around saying, you know, what should be the consensus then? As a result of that discussion, how should we arrive at something that is that keeps everyone happy? Yeah, it's something that, that I come across all the time is, um, you know, I talk a lot to people about the safe delivery of food is, mm. is a big part of packaging. Like, yeah, we want to reduce packaging and make better decisions, but we can't forget that that safe delivery of the food that we all enjoy is a big, um, big part of that. Yeah, well, you as the, well as food loss, right? That's right. I mean, you did the cucumber one, didn't you, on your, on your videos? Yeah. That was this exact classic example of how the role of packaging is to, is to protect the product. Yeah. It's not there to make litter. Yeah. It has a purpose. And so that's the sort of thing with coming about. You don't want to be seen to be necessarily um, accused of greenwashing the industry because some people might claim that because they might say reuse is better than recycling. And they're, they're right. Yeah. So in Germany, they've got situations where they've got reuse schemes and they're washing bottles rather than recycling bottles, and I get that. But I think there's still that, that waste hierarchy is there for a reason, that whole process of preventing and then reusing and then recycling and then down, down you go. These, I think sometimes I, I, I get, even I'm, I'm to blame as well, that sometimes you get in this debate about different parts are better than others, so it becomes like a judgmental thing across this, this waste hierarchy. Yeah. And I think that the we have to, got to take a bit of a deep breath sometimes because there's every part of that supply that, that hierarchy has a role to play. You'll always have residues, or you'll always have some products that are well placed to be in a reusable space, like even transport packaging as an example, or yep. refills in some of these special retail stores. I just feel we end up with a, a bit of a, a pattern of things. We'll have a bit of a, 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 a patch quilt type scenario where some things are out there that are compostable, some things because they're in a closed loop in situation. Others recyclable, others reusable, others are sort of no packaging. Mm. I think we need a combination. And what about like on a, you know, like um, before we came into the podcast, we were talking about on a national level, you know, we've got container deposit scheme, we've got curbside, um, you know, both those systems probably need to work together somehow. Yeah. Um, and we kind of touched on there is a, some confusion there at times. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? How curbside and container deposit need to work next to each other? Yeah, I think there's, this is a situation where the consumer has to go along for the ride and become a bit more sophisticated because let's say you're on holidays. In Victoria, there's no CDS. 
you go to Queensland or New South Wales on holidays, does that mean you should throw away your packaging in Queensland as you would in Victoria? Well, maybe not. You've got to adapt to the context. So when you're travelling, you should, and even the variations between uh, the Queensland system where you put the, the bottles in a bag and you drop it off in a sort of a drop-off point, it doesn't matter what the form of the bottle is, Whereas in New South Wales, you make make sure you don't crush the bottle because if you want to put it through the automated hole, you won't get your ten cents. So does that has that caused you some issues, or you know, do you think it's caused the industry some issues on getting even like say the labelling on that quite right? Yeah, it has it has Simon, because one of the things when we first came out with the on pack labelling scheme is this, and and still not quite right in terms of coming to a consensus about whether or not you put a cap on or cap off, or whether you crush it or you don't crush it, and. We're still on that conversation. Mm. Um, and, and this thing about CDS even makes it more complex because, as I said before, the form of the bottle when you discard it for, for your 10 cents recovery is different in New South Wales than it is in Queensland. And then you go to curbside, you know, one council might say one thing and they go to another state and they say something completely different. So I think we'll get to a point where we'll achieve some level of consensus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the same thing will apply everywhere. I think this level of sophistication has to be accepted by the consumers to say, if I'm a, cons- a consumer, a curbside, there may be rules. I think that we have to be, consumers have to be at least adaptable to some of those variations. But over time, we'll get to that some level of harmonisation, but not fully. Yeah, I even see it between like regional areas and metropolitan areas. You know, there will be variations in uh, the services that are available in regional areas versus metropolitan areas. Yes. You know, some of the services aren't as accessible, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. It may not be one size fits all. There'll be some small variations in this. Yeah. And that's the other thing, Simon, with the um, the fact that the Australasian Recycling Label covers Australia and New Zealand. And we've got this threshold called check locally. So it might be that a certain percentage of the population, it's between, like, it's between, say, yeah, in New Zealand, it's between 50% and 80% of the population. In Australia, it's 60, 80. I mean, it's this threshold thing I'm talking about. It's just saying that that item is not collected everywhere. Yeah. And the labelling on the packaging will say check locally. So that's an example of where you get to your council and you might be in a remote area. Once again, check locally. People say that's a bit confusing. Where do I check? All right, well, maybe check the underside of your bin to see if it's on there. Maybe check the, the council website. Yep. So you will have variations, and, and, and it's also, as we know, things are changing over time. And, and when the China thing comes in, all of a sudden we have this contamination thing, or your industry in terms of some materials being problematic to you, we'll get pushed back from your industry saying, we don't want this anymore. Mm. Now, we can make a change to the prep, we can make a change through the tax system, the technical advisory committee, and through to the the Planet Arc program with the labelling scheme the brand owners use, we can do that pretty quickly. Quicker than all councils will go and change the stickers on their bins or all councils will go and change the, the website in terms of what can go at curbside. So I think we're going to have this ongoing delay factor where a change might be, something might come out on the labelling. We've got some examples here in front of us yep. where you can see, like this example here, where you've got, say, you've got two items of packaging, say you've got the tray and the film. So it would have been a tray with a film on the top, yep. and there's two symbols there. Yeah. Now, that symbol is saying what we consider is suitable for the current situation in terms of the recycling system in Australia. Yep. But if markets change all of a sudden now, you know, these, these, this material is not 
recyclable, we might end up with a symbol on here saying not recyclable, but the council says still says number five, for instance. Yep. Number five will always recycle. I'm not a good example. But that I think we need to that's what I'm saying about this the need for the consumers to go for the ride with us and not and almost be patient on an ongoing basis that there'll be differences between what councils will say on their bins and what the label says. It's not saying that neither are right or wrong. It's just saying that we've got to try and work out a way to harmonise over time. Yeah, I've spoken a bit about that recently that um, a lot of groups are saying, you know, we need a carrot and stick approach, right? Mm -hmm. But what you're saying, I'm with you on this, it's a journey and everyone has to come on that journey. And, you know, the the trays are a good example. I think we did another video on these demonstrating the ease of um, following the labelling. That you know, you, you peel the you peel the film off, and that goes in the bin. The tray is recycled, and in the one I had, I think it had a cardboard sleeve on it, which right. even said that that was recycled. Yeah. So, like, just putting my consumer hat on, I I found that really easy to use, yeah. and definitely bringing everyone on the journey, as opposed to the carrot and stick. Yeah. Everyone's got to kind of get on the same train yeah. here, right? But that, given the ring grand final week as well, I mean the AFL things, you know, don't think, just do. Yeah, that's the sort of thing. It's just look at it and say, "Well, okay." Yeah, well. it's it's pretty it's pretty self explanatory. Like another good one we've got here, and uh, I think my kids have taken out that. Yeah, it's on this side. Yeah. yeah. So again, you've got you know the carton recyclable, yeah. and then the bag that's got the Nutrigrain in it. Take it back to Red Cycle. That's right. And it's it's recyclable either Coles or Woolworths. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with the Red Cycle program. That's becoming more prominent in terms of the awareness. Yep. And it's, it's a bit like the habit where the, you, t- you take your old reusable bags rather than expect the shopping bag. It's just a habit. If you have a bag for your bags, for your bread bags and your frozen pea bags and all your bits and pieces that might come through, they can then go in to, a, to this system. But what we're also making sure of with this through the APCO program with RedCycle is that the brand owners who are putting that on make sure the laminates are suitable for the system. Yeah, that's that's a really big topic, like especially for us. Like when, if we're buying films, you know, you're always inspecting for for laminates. Yeah. So obviously, you're trying to address that on the front end again. Once again, start at the beginning. I mean, yeah. that's the sort of thing where, and for instance, what in the red cycle system, they don't want biodegradable bags or mm-hmm. compostable bags. Now, sometimes it's hard to know the difference, and I get a few getting through. That's they'll accommodate it, but. They're the sort of things that cause problems in your industry at the next point to say, how am I going to make use of this recovered resource? Yeah. Hey, that, that's another good topic. I don't want to get into it too much, but, you know, the whole biodegradable bag space mm-hmm. versus, um, like, do you, do you think we're in danger of, like, giving consumers um, not the, um, how am I trying to say this, maybe we've got too many products for consumers to make choices about? Because, like, as a plastic person, I find it hard sometimes differentiating between a... Uh, HDPE bag and mm-hmm. a biodegradable bag like the consumer's got to make that decision next like how tricky is that do you reckon yeah well I think that I suppose that discussion was was more important a few years ago when we had the shopping bags less there's less now mm-hmm. so it's probably now more in the space of um, situations something like the dry when you go to dry cleaning you get a bag the dry, yep dry cleaning some of those are, are, they say biodegradable and you think well you think, what's the benefit of that being biodegradable? And you think, well, is that a litter item? Probably not. Mm. You're not going to take your dry cleaning off in the park. I mean, I think that it depends on how it's going to be used. I think the distinction should be made between products that will be consumed away from home versus products that are consumed in the home, for sure. 
Because if you're talking about definitely a throwaway situation away from home, I think that's the place where maybe there's, there's a benefit. Like for instance, a, um, a uh, ice cream wrapper mm. that might be a, a high, pro, uh, you know, high probability of being littered. Yep. Maybe there's an argument there because you're talking about a marine environment. Now there's a distinction also between, as you know, Simon, biodegradables and compostables and oxo-biodegradables and all sorts of things. Yeah, okay? yeah. it's so complex. It does become complex. And that's coming back to the, starting at the beginning. The designers who select the materials, they're going to make sure what is the context again? Is it away from home or is it in the home? If it's away from home, you want to make sure that, that if it is littered and your focus is making sure the impacts to the marine environment is low, then maybe that has its place from a compostable point of view or a, a, yeah. something that degrades down to the actual yep. carbon, not microplastics, but through to the final carbon. Yeah. So I think that has its place. Whereas if you're going back now in curbside, you know it's all going to go through curbside, there's no real benefit there of having biodegradable materials because it's all going to get caught up in the PET stream or it's going to get caught up yeah, in the rigid. So I think it depends on where it's going to end up will help you determine whether that's suitable or not. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of talk around that at the moment. Like, you know, even, I know this is going off the topic a bit, but, you know, the introduction of a FOGO bin. Right. And, and then, you know, some councils are saying that they're going to give everyone a biodegradable bag to go in that. And um, So these are all... Well, that's know, a good example of where it can be used, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. That's a particular thing. Those bags are specifically designed to be compostable. Perfect. Yeah. They're designed for that particular thing. And then... But I think then the next step could be the FOGO could potentially, could that include, for instance, compostable packaging? Mm. Because if you've got, for instance, um, if, if people talk about um, compostable packaging and often the, 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 um, the conversation is often in the plastic space, but I think the conversation should be extended to the paper space. Think about something you buy from a takeaway food where you've got a, sort of a paper wrapper around a burger and it's got cheese all over it and tomato sauce. Recyclers don't want that. Paper mills don't want that. Now, if you know that that paper, because you've designed it this way at the start, yeah. hasn't got wax or hasn't got high wet strength chemicals in it, and you know it's just paper, then maybe it's suitable to go into compost. Yeah, that's a really, uh, really interesting point, really. I mean, you think about all the burger wrappers out there. But even but, at home, you might get yeah. a lasagna, for instance. It might be in a, you might get a, um, a punnet, like a plastic a paper punnet of strawberries that all go off and get mushy and impregnated into the paper. Yeah. If you know that's just paper or the gas or whatever, that's compostable. It doesn't go in the recycling bin. So sometimes this FOGO space, I think, could be used for packaging as well as food waste. Not just the bag that goes around the food waste, but potentially could go into that space. But the danger is, once again, education. Mm. How do we get to a point of being able to communicate to the consumer that this lasagna tray is suitable to go in FOGO, but this puddle over here is not because it's got a plastic liner in it, and that will cause problems with the composter. Yeah. So now Outco is now going through the process of doing a project looking at whether or not the labelling scheme that we're talking about here could be extended to include compostables, like working with the other organisations that are out there at the moment, but trying to merge this together. Um, anyway, that's broadening the conversation, but it's, it's taking it beyond compostable plastics to also work out, well, how should we manage food residue on paper products that could best be going into compost rather than landfill as opposed to recycling causing problems in the paper mill. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really valid point. I mean, just you think about that around the home. I mean, we've got some councils that have FOGO in mm. at the moment or organics recycling. Mm. Um, yeah, it does, it does open up a whole world of other opportunities. Well, you know, the other thing, Simon, is we talk about the FOGO in terms of um, you know, compostable packaging maybe going through there. But even if that's not just the case at the moment, councils don't allow that, apart from the bags that you were talking about before, but in the interim, I think that um, if you've got your home composting set up, um, food-tainted paper products you can still put in there. Because if, even if it's got a plastic liner, you'll know it because you can pull the plastic liner out. But yeah. you'll be able to work it out yourself. And you, like the example of the pizza box, it might the top you might tear off and put in recycling, goes to the paper mill. The bottom might have cheese all over it. And you think, okay, that's no good for recycling. Why don't I tear it up in little bits? Put it in my compost and my worm farm, presto. And and, and the thing is with um, home composting, people get turned off by the smell and the flies because it's not managed properly. But you know what? I like, I, I like being like growing up in the country. Like you just did that stuff anyway. You had your composting, you had your veggie garden. Yeah. Like to me, it was like go out there, get messy, get dirty, <laughs> grow some stuff, eat some stuff. Yeah. I mean, but if you can see it through, as you've spoken about, is there. If you actually get the compost to the point of the end point, now it's value on your veggie garden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or your flower pots or whatever. If you're not getting any value from it because it's just a stinking mess and you've got nowhere to put it, then it's not, you're not going to see it through, eh? But if you actually can see it through to a value commodity, then you'll put it in your worm farm or you're going to in your veggie patch and so on. Circle economy. Yeah, there exactly. Yeah, in your, in your own house. You're, yeah. You're regenerating, you're yeah. growing, you're, you're re- yeah. I've, yeah, growing up on that, I, I, you know, I'm a big, big fan of growing mm. your own stuff and doing the home composting. Mm. Even, uh, even big Josh, he's got his own little compost thing going on. Is he right? He, he loves it. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a massive fan of that. Um, coming back to to some of the some of the packaging and yeah. like, I'm hearing some things, Anthony, with uh, even some uh, brands and groups starting to think about going to homogenized packaging. You know, there's a little bit of talk of maybe like trying to phase out high impact polystyrene. Yep. Are you starting to see those kind of things? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to talk about specifics here, but yep. are you starting to see those things on the front end of the prep tool where brands are seriously looking at this? Yeah, there's a few things there that's happening in that space. First of all, you've got um, discussions that are going on in Europe, in the UK, with RAP and different organisations. Secondly, you've got big brands making decisions themselves. So regardless of what the regulations are, big corporations are saying, I'm no longer going to use this, I'm not going to use, lose, use this, and so on. So really, when it comes to them to, for the Australian New Zealand context of working out this framework for, for the prep and giving a decision on whatever it might be, we are not, necess- not always leading things, we're responding to things, and we're responding to the recycling industry. But we're also responding to the brand owners who say, we think this is the right thing to do. So be bold and make the call, and that that does give us that that um, that confidence to take. And but what we do is in that we're right in the midst of it at the moment. By the way, these sorts of things because some of the materials are problematic, mm. and so what we're doing though is there's a few things there. First of all, we consult the recycling industry to confirm that it is problematic and how widespread it is. But then we also then go back to the companies who are using the packaging to find out are there alternatives. Yeah. So if you're going to move away from one polymer to another, there's not just cost to consider, but there's the setup of the whole packaging machinery. 
So whether it's a thermoformed or whether it's a another film coming in or they've got you know completely changing your whole makeup. It, it is it's that that is such an important um, thing to mention because people don't understand, you know, to change to change the packaging, it means changing the tooling. Oh, yes. It'll mean changing the could even change mean changing the whole line. Yeah, like the mould for instance, and it might be one one polymer under temperature might just stretch a little bit more. So yep. you can't use the same thing or the embossing you're going to put on the side can't be used. There's all these different variations and that's what we're going to make sure we don't, of course we can't make bang decisions. It's trying to make sure we consult with those who are affected both at the packaging design and, and material selection stage, but also can, to consult with the recyclers to let them know, by the way, you're going to get a cleaner stream soon. Mm. What you've been talking about, it might take a number of months to get this through and then we make the decision and then we notify the members of the change that occurred and then it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to, so we're not banning materials. All we're saying is that if we make a change to the prep, all it's saying is something might on the pack might go from recyclable to not recyclable. It's not banning materials. It's just making sure that the consumer then knows that this is goes in the rubbish bin, not the recycling bin. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, I want to take you back to one of our first conversations and we were talking about... Um, were we drunk or was he okay? I know, oh, I think we're okay at the <laughs> okay, time. Good. Um, but at one of our first conversations, mate, was around demand in the marketplace. And I have to be super careful about what I, what I say here, but um, I actually really believe that to go and replace a lot of this virgin polymer, um, you know, if you think maybe a brand might be using, you know, 10,000 tonnes of PET or HDPE, yeah. they've got to go and now complement that with 5,000 tonnes of recycled uh, polymer. Yeah if their target's 50%, and some brands are obviously going for 70, 100%, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that the gap is gonna be feeding. I agree. Feeding feeding that supply to the brands to make There's that There's a change. tsunami of demand coming, mm. I believe. I agree with you. And that's the problem we've got that, um, now for instance, Coke's made the decision recently to go 100% recycled content on seven out of 10 of their bottles. But to achieve that, they're bringing materials from overseas because we can't supply it locally. Yeah, we live in a globalised community, that's fine. And I think you're absolutely right there, but that provides the opportunity when COAG met um, a number of weeks back and the announcement was made about no exports of materials. I shuddered when I thought of that. I think, hang on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it might come back to semantics possibly about more the Basel Convention and actually a waste yeah. As opposed to a resource, but yeah. still, it puts the onus on the local industry to step up and provide the, the supply to meet that demand. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, what I kind of say to the ban of, of waste exports is, yes, we shouldn't be exporting waste, mm. um, but I think like exporting commodities is fine. That, that's fine. fine. What I think they should do is regulate that. Yeah. You know, because uh, we do have that infrastructure gap, so we're going to need, we need to fill that need somewhere yeah but i think it's also the matching the matching of um supplier to um that, that demand again and, and planet arc is building this thing called the um circular economy hub mm. the federal government's given them 1.6 million dollars to build it and one element of that hub will be the information source and portals and case studies and so on they're also building a marketplace to bring this together and i think it's um it's jim from downers and he's he talks about you know yeah, I, I asked for I asked for turkey and give me chickens or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Jimmy, he wants he wants Christmas turkeys. Yeah. Not, not Christmas chickens. That's because the thing. He's trying to make a premium. That's he's right. A so if you're, if you're in the process of doing 
plastic recycling, if you can only get to a certain quality and you can only supply chickens and that the person wants turkeys, you're out of the game. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that means it comes back to saying, well, the investment has to be back here to say, how can I value at that? But it might be you're constricted by what you're getting. And that's why it started at the beginning. If we can get a cleaner stream from the brand owner through the consumer, through to the net, you've got more chance of getting turkeys rather than chickens when you sell your resin to whoever needs it. Yeah. This whole thing, it's all working together. It, yeah. That's the potential, it's massive. It is, so that's that's the one big takeaway. Yeah. You know, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is coming. Let's, let's get some Christmas turkeys on, <laughs> the, Christmas on turkeys. the table. I know Jim will be happy if he hears that. So. Hey, um, so what, do, um, what have you got coming up for the next few months? Um, you um, are always busy, but what have you got happening in in your world? Yeah, look, I am pretty busy, busy sign, busy, 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 and also busy. Um, um, I'm heading across to the UK on Saturday for a few months. Because okay. I've got the prep in the UK, so I'm going to try and make sure it's accurate for that market as well. And um, I've got this grand vision that I can get into Europe on the mainland. So I'm going to go across there and have a bit of a chat with a few people and see if they're interested. And I oh, know I'm just going to keep myself busy. Yeah, well, man, that sounds pretty awesome. I think uh, I think your addition of your tool, uh, particularly, uh, has been great here in Australia. I mean, just watching it come through, uh, you know, obviously with the backup of the label system and the rest of it, um, for everyone out there, I do think it's going to make an, an easier system to follow uh, as a consumer and as we try and transition to a better circular economy in Australia, it really is a, a key tool. Um, sure, thanks for that. Yeah, so, mate, congratulations on it so far. It, yeah, well, there's, there's a little video online on the website, so if anyone wants to check it out, they can just... Watch the video and see how what, it works. And it's on your website. What's your website? Yeah, we've got one website. Um, the APCO website is apco.prep.design. Yep. And there's also a company website, prep.design, that gives a bit more of a broader thing about what we do. So Okay, we'll get James to whip that up on the screen now. <laughs> now, one last question that I'm going to... This is a tough question, is it? This is the toughest question I'm going to ask you, right? So you, you have to be super prepared for it. Go. May your trademark is those glasses. And for those that don't know about it, <laughs> you've got to tell them um, the story behind your glasses. Okay, right. So these are made in Australia by a company called Dresden. They're made from 100% recycled plastic. And the I, I learned the story about these glasses, and they're fantastic. They, they, they pull um, plastics from the oceans and plastics from manufacturers and all sorts of places to build this stuff. Single design, so... If it doesn't suit me, that's bad luck, Simon. I'm just wearing them. I think it does suit I you. I do. Oh, good. That's why I want my blue shirt yeah, to make it to show it off. But the blue used to be the um, the plastic caps that go on beer kegs to all the pubs. They get all the blue back and they produce the um, the, the front bit. I understand the red used to be uh, Lego. I don't know, sort of reject or something. Oh, wow. So I've now got Lego beer goggles. And I reckon they're pretty cool. And they're, they're part of the circular economy because it's all about having a clean stream coming through to, like I say, the turkeys. Yeah. You can make stuff like this and make a business out of it if, at a high value if you get the clean stream coming through. And that's why, you're right, I'm using it a bit of it as part of my story. It's awesome. So uh, that wraps up, wrap, bleh, wraps up the episode uh, with Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us on Think Beginning, Not End. Um, we could go on for hours here. I know we could. Um, but hopefully that gives everyone a bit of insight into what's happening behind the scenes and, and actually thinking about this whole recycling crisis at the beginning 
and where our packaging is made and, and Anthony's a, a massive part of that. So thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for having us. Awesome to catch up. Yeah, all the best. Cheers.